Well, it's good to see you here tonight. It's good to be here. We have a little fewer than we've had in the summer now that uh, Truth Seekers has started. Tonight I'd like to look at um, a couple passages starting in Isaiah 42, so you can turn there. And I am going to talk about a theme that came up in our Exodus series, and that is just the power of God, the awesomeness of God. God's power was on display as he dealt with the Egyptians and showed the Israelites who he was. And if you, you know the history that Isaiah is a prophet um, later on in Israel's history, later on compared to when Moses was, was dealing with the people of Israel. Um, but many of the prophets looked back on the days of Moses and they saw it ministered to them. It encouraged them as God revealed himself through his deliverance of his people out of Egypt. That is a huge theme scripturally. It was a huge theme to the Old Testament prophets and it's a huge theme for us because of it shows God's power and it points to God's deliverance um, taking his people out of bondage and slavery of sin, not just the slavery uh, in Egypt, but the slavery of sin. And it is meant to be a picture of that. <clears throat> so I want you to think about God's power as we look at several verses here. And I think that will encourage us. It can only encourage us as we go into prayer tonight. So Isaiah 42, verse 5 and verse 8. What I'd like to do is, we have all of us are good readers here tonight, so if you want to volunteer to read a verse, I'll point out a verse, and just raise your hand if you'll take that verse. Isaiah 42, 5, Joel has that, and Isaiah 42, 8. Need a hand for that? I see your hand, all right. Let's read those two. Okay, so we see God identifying himself here. The God, in verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, who created the heavens. He created the heavens. Uh, he is the creator. And then he, he uh, compares himself, or actually the more correct say, he is not to be compared with false gods and idols. There's no comparison. And that's where verse came, verse 8 comes out of. <clears throat> um, same chapter, verse 15 and 16. Can I have a reader for those? All right. Right, 15 and 16. You can picture um, looking back at what he did with Israel. <clears throat> He'll lay waste mountains and hills. In other words, um, his power is displayed in nature. Um, his power is displayed over nature. He has a command over that. And there's nothing that, that, that he is limited 
too. And we just, we should be in awe when we look at a God like that, the God that does what he does. He says, you dry up all their vegetation. I'm reminded of what he did in Egypt. And as he sent frogs and flies and gnats and hail and ruined all of their, uh, their vegetation. And then it says, verse 16, I will lead the blind in the way that they do not know. I don't know if that's a reference to, to Israel in Egypt, but it certainly um, it fits them. <clears throat> they don't know where they're going. God leads them in that way. And so much applies to us. We don't know day to day where we're going, but God does lead us, and we can count on his leading. He is powerful to destroy, and he's powerful to tenderly lead. We talk about leading the blind. Have you ever guided somebody who's blind um, and you, you extend your arm to them, they, take, they hold onto your hand, and they're dependent on you for every step to be going in the right direction. That's how we are with God. He leads us and guides us. We don't know which way to go, um, but he can see the path before us and he can guide us. I like this, I will turn the darkness before them into light. With Egypt, he turned light into darkness. Remember one of the last plagues he did? It was just darkness over, over, the, uh, o- o- over all the land. And I wonder how that felt. Think about it. There's not a sound. There, there, there's not a rushing mighty wind that some destruction is coming. In fact, there is this eerily quietness, like just a hush, and it's dark. I know we don't relate to that in the city as much. Though if we were to have a blackout and all the lights we're used to having on, I think we'd see more. Uh, we would see the type of, uh, we'd understand. I just said, I don't want to use the word see because darkness is the exact opposite of that. We would understand the setting that they were in to be in darkness. But here he says, I will turn the darkness before them into light. It shows me God has control of both. He can turn the lights off and he can turn them on. Or he can turn them off and lead his people through complete darkness. Or he can turn them off for those against his people and keep them on like he did with Israel in, in, in Gershon. I think it's the name of the land that they were in. So darkness all over Egypt and light where his people are. So he's just displaying that. Let's skip to the next chapter, chapter 43, verse 8 and 9. I need a reader for those two verses. All right. Mm hmm. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather. Right. Earlier in the passage, in this, in this running passage in, in chapter 42, <clears throat> he charges Israel for their failure to hear and see. In chapter 42, verse 18, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. And now he, he talks to um, those who are blind. And, you know, it's bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes. In other words, they have eyes, but they're not seeing. They're not seeing. Uh, they're not aware in seeing what God has said and what, uh, they're not seeing what God has done and not hearing what God has said. Um, it seems to me that what was fitting here is that 
in Egypt, God is showing his people his power. And he wants them to be a witness. He wants them to see. He's saying, open your eyes so that you can see. Open your ears so you can witness what I am doing. Don't be blind and deaf to what I'm doing. Open and see. Verse 9, all the nations gathered together and the people assembly, assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. Let's read verses 10 through 13 in chapter 43. Somebody could read that for me. All right. Go ahead, uh, Chris. So God again is declaring um, himself and he's saying to his people, You've seen me. You've seen my work. You are a testimony or witness to what I have done. Again, I, I just thought back to um, the people of Israel seeing the mighty acts of God. They were witnesses to what God was doing. He wanted them to see his mighty work. <clears throat> In chapter 44 of Isaiah, we're going to look at a couple of verses there. Verse 6 and verse 7. Um, Joel, could you read that for us? Chapter 44, verse 6 and 7. Here's Paul's there. Um, <clears throat> I'm reminded again uh, of the display that God put on before Pharaoh, before the people of Egypt. And he is saying, um, besides me, there is no God. There is no comparison in Egypt to the gods that you worship, to who I am. Um, he says in verse 7, who is like me? In other words, he's saying, speak up. You got somebody that's like me? Speak up. Show me who it is. Let him declare and set it before me. And then it's saying his people, God's people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Um, one or two ways to, to, to take that. Um, can they divine the future? Uh, another way to, to read that is to say, um, let them be a witness and a testimony to what God is doing. All right, um, a couple of the verses there I want to look at. Actually, it's the, it's the last phrase in verse 8. I'm going to read that. <clears throat> is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. God is speaking. He is God alone. He is to be compared to none other, or none other are to be compared with him. Um, and he is bold in proclaiming that statement. It doesn't stop here. It just continues on. God is making himself known. It reminds me in Exodus chapter 6 when he has that discussion with Moses. And Moses said to God at the start of that, look, he says, if, if my own people won't listen to me, what chance do I have that Pharaoh will listen to me? And the answer God gave him is this. Who am I? I am. So he says, remember who I am. This is going to... This, this war is going to be fought not on who you are, Moses, 
but who I am. And it's the same thing with us today. We go to God in prayer. And the many things that we ask God to do, the one is to make himself known in our situation. And he loves to do that. Make himself known. Let him get the glory in our situation. Do you have a situation like that? That you're willing to turn over to God and say, God, let you get the glory here. Let your power be shown. Let your majesty be displayed in my situation so that you get the glory. God is anxious to reveal himself and to show himself, not just to us, but through us to others. Look at a few more verses. Um, in chapter 44, there is verse 24 and 25. Would someone like to read those? Uh-huh. couldn't help but think about this interaction before Pharaoh when he says he frustrates the lie, the signs of liars. A sign is a miracle, a work that is to indicate who's operating behind them. And God is saying those are false signs because they're liars. Now they had, I mentioned Satan has some power, but he's a liar. He's trying to make himself more than he is. God is showing himself to be true. We can pray to the God who makes himself known before the world by his might and by his power. <clears throat> he, he identifies as our God. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer. He wants us to remember, think back a little bit to God's work to bring you to salvation. He is the one who redeemed me out of sin. He is the one who redeemed you. I don't know what situation you were in. I know what situation I was in. I was a seven-year-old boy who knew I was a sinner, even though I had been raised in a Christian home and grown up and gone to church all my life. But God showed me that I needed him. He redeemed me from my sin. Who formed you from the womb. God is reminding us that he has had us in mind all of our lives. It's not just when I turned seven and said a prayer to accept Christ. No, he had me in mind from the very beginning. And so he did you. You're not an accident. You're not a chance. You hear part of God's purpose, and he is your God, the one who redeemed you. I already mentioned the frustration, the sign of signs of liars, and make fools of diviners. Those who think they know so much, think they can speak prophecy and speak the future. God is the one who holds that knowledge in his hand. I want to end up on one verse, and that's chapter 45, um, one more section. Chapter 45, verse 5 through 7. We're going to read this together. Chapter 45, verse 5 through 7. Read it um, slowly together. <clears throat> I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun 
and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. On Sunday, I ask you, what thing can you name ever that Satan has created? He hasn't. God is saying, I am the creator. I and I alone am the one who created. And he's declaring himself uh, to his people. Our prayer tonight is that we be encouraged to pray. And we pray, know who we're praying to. Be encouraged of what he has done and what he will do. And that he is displaying his power even through his people today. Good evening, saints. We're going to be continuing our meditation in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel is written so that we might believe. And the Gospel of John is so profound in so many ways because he's discussing how do we believe and how do we not believe? And so in chapter 1, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Chapter 2, we saw this wedding and we learned that Jesus is God, but he doesn't reveal his power in ways that always flatter our understanding. He's not there to validate us right at the moment we want to be validated. Chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Believing means being humble first, so you can be exalted. In chapter 4, Jesus spoke to a strange woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman who lots of people would say he shouldn't have been talking to. But Jesus showed in that chapter that he was looking for true worshipers, worshipers that will believe and worship God, the Spirit, and the truth. In chapter 5, he interacted with a man who believed in a superstition. A superstition that he himself could not fulfill. But Jesus healed that man where superstition couldn't. And he did what that man could not do for himself. Chapter 9, we saw a blind man 
humiliated. Jesus spit on his hands and put it on the man's eyes. But it's better to be humiliated by Jesus and healed than it is to sit in our own pride and stay blind. Then in chapter 10, we saw that Jesus is the good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. And so in believing in him, we know he takes care of us. Martha thinking and what she believing right now. 
going on with Mark? Well, here, Brother Charles. Yeah, Martha had a saving faith, right? She believed that the Lord would raise him up in the last day, and she knew that her brother was gone, right? So she was saying, he gone? say I'm gonna raise him up in the last day she's thinking oh, I know we all gonna raise in the last day but I'm sad today but I'm with you Lord. you all gonna raise in the last day Martha believed in Jesus for his saving faith and is that a bad thing it's not bad but I think one of the problems that we might have with Martha is that Jesus is saying something literal and she's trying to spiritualize doesn't want to believe that because she doesn't want to be let down on like she already said she believes Jesus not that she thinks Jesus is a liar but she because she doesn't want to handle the weight of thinking that this could happen she spiritualizes what Jesus said when he said something literally sister take her to the side she do eventually come right but she still is kind of a little bit angry at Jesus she's bothered that he didn't come when everybody knows that that's Lazarus good friend let's look at the Jews what's going on with the Jews saw the blind man being healed. So they just used Jesus' actions as a weapon against him. You notice that? They say, he could have healed the blind man. How come he didn't heal this man? Did you believe when he healed the blind man? Did you change up what you thought about him? Did you do anything different? 
So you are you are admitting that he did do a work of God. But I notice you haven't changed, you haven't joined one of his disciples. You're still on the other side. In fact, as we get towards the end of this passage, we're going to see some people see that Lazarus get raised, and what the first thing they do? They run off and tell the Pharisees. Jesus through this passage. Good question that we gotta ask is why does Jesus cry? Why does Jesus cry? And I think this is a lesson to all the people who try to take girls and try to make them as saints is we need to bear the weight of that sadness and just feel the real sadness. Don't lie about it. Be like Jesus and just, just cry if you need to cry. I don't notice the disciples crying. I'm sure some of them were friends of Lazarus. Everybody gonna mourn their own way but just don't lie. I believe a lot of the reasons why people are on so many psycho psychological medications is because they Some of the lies are because of our culture. They tell themselves they're girls when they're boys. They tell themselves they were born this way, they were, they were. Or they're this way because mama did this when they was young. Some of those lies are that way. Some of the lies are just an attempt to not deal with reality. That has driven a person insane. Somebody gonna come back home. 